You don't have any money. Attachment to the material is detachment from the spiritual. I'll tell the guys at the deli. Maybe they'll make you a metaphysical ham oh, and rye. Wait, 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 wait. I think you have two hundred dollars, rupees, which is oh, a bucket and a half. What do you want? I wouldn't say no to a tuna melt. <laughs> world outside your window still not great but guess what here on poster recaps everything is super as we have finally reached avengers infinity war oh snap kevin mahadeo oh snap oh snap who had that on the bingo card that we would say oh snap at some point on the podcast but like this early on i don't I mean, know right just come out the gate with the oh snap it's my name even i have on our little uh little, uh, chat, little right chat here, yeah. here. kevin's oh snap i should have um, also i should have done bring me thanos another great bring me thanos <laughs> will bring me infinity war i think uh is is probably the mood here just gauging um the the everything is super listenership you know uh far be it for me to 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 spoil a podcast let alone my own podcast but Kevin, of course, we do the Infinity Stone rankings here on uh, the Everything is Super podcast, where we rank every movie in the MCU on a scale of one to six to see which is the best movie. We also do that with the villains of the post credit scenes. And yeah, uh, we've got a new number one this week. It's Infinity War. Infinity War is the current title holder yeah, of the spoilers. best movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, <laughs> which I don't think is, is, this a, is this a huge shock? I don't, I don't know. I, I'll tell you this. Kevin, uh, coming into Infinity War, like I was feeling like a little nervous. I didn't know how I was going to feel coming coming into this because I haven't seen this movie since Endgame. Uh, I, you know, I rewatched Infinity War in the lead up to Endgame, but I hadn't watched it after seeing Endgame, like knowing how this whole story ends and Infinity War being one of my very favorite Marvel movies, let alone, you know, like let alone my favorite Marvel movies, one of my favorite movies, full stop. Uh, one of my favorite movie theater experiences was Infinity War, um, but I hadn't revisited it. And I was I was a little worried that it was going to feel like light and inconsequential because we know certain things like get undone in Endgame. Whatever like crazy sauce I was uh, guzzling, and yes, I drink sauce sometimes. <laughs> Don't judge me too harshly. Uh, it wore off sauce. After, after watching the movie. Yeah, that mouth numbing flavor. Uh, I went and watched Infinity War this week, and I was just like, "Yeah, this movie slaps as hard as I remember." This is a bop that slaps, Kevin. <laughs> this is a it's bop, a bop that snaps. That snaps and slaps and just uh, yeah. it. It really yeah. is. I mean, like I've seen this movie quite a few times at this point, and I. Um, I, I haven't gotten tired of it. Like, you know, it's just, it's so well done and it did, I would even say it did more than what Avengers did originally, right? Like Avengers obviously had a huge, uh, a huge setup to pull off something, a lot of anticipation, but this built up, I think leading to this point, Thanos especially has been built up since the first Avengers. I think it, it, it had a lot of pressure on it as well to pull something off. And not only that, but all these new characters, all the things that they've been planning and building to. So to see it pull off this well, to see it, it accomplish this was, was insane at the time. And it's still sort of a like breathtaking measure to be like, my God. And 
this movie is great because this movie, like, first of all, what an opening. The opening of the movie is brutal and incredible. And like you, you, you know, we just came off. There's the the wharf effect in full in full mode here, right? With uh, with uh, Shao Kahn snapping Johnny Cage's neck. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I'm so glad you did this. But yeah, I mean, it is absolutely that, right? You have Thanos, who we've been all been waiting for, waiting to kind of show up, and he takes down the two strongest Avengers. He's able to beat both Thor and uh, the Hulk, and it's. It's it's crazy. And not only that, he also wipes out half of Asgard. I mean, he kills Loki. All these characters that we were really, you know, attached to and loved following Thor Ragnarok just gets killed immediately and really sets the stage of of us being like, oh, man, screw this guy. Screw Thanos. He just killed all these people we really like. Um, And, you know, uh, Loki, for me, there was two people going into Infinity War and Endgame that I was just like. My one one to one odds are definitely going to die. And it was Loki and, and, and Tony Stark. So I'm glad those odds were right. But um, yeah, just holy crap, dude. And it just goes from there. This movie, I feel like doesn't it slows down every now and then, but it just goes like it doesn't stop. And it's awesome. Like it, it's so fast paced. One of the thoughts that I had rewatching Infinity War the other day um, was that this this movie like. This movie feels more like almost like a book to me. Like there are there are like large swaths of the movie that feel like chapters uh, where it's like it's like the Tony Stark and everything in New York chapter. And then you go to space and it's the chapter there. And then there's the vision and Wanda chapter that ends with uh, the Secret Avengers showing up like this feels like a movie that is like broken into these segments that feels very novelistic uh which which maybe is appropriate because like is is this you know yes this is a movie this is obviously a movie but like it is it is something that is it's hard to kind of define exactly what infinity war is outside of a word other than event this is an event this movie is it's a ginormous crossover it's the culmination of a lot of stuff uh it's an event. It's part it's part one of like this two part story, but it stands on its own. It's really different from Endgame in a lot of very meaningful ways. But this really is the movie that like collapses all of the people together and puts all these really wild and, and fun and compelling character combinations together um, and, and just like throws everything in the toy box out onto the floor and mashes it all together in a way that shouldn't be cohesive and yet is really artfully cohesive. We, you know, we give these movies a grade from one to six and we've already handed out a bunch of sixes. And this is like that first time where we had some feedback from somebody who, who I don't, I don't have it written down in our doc. Unfortunately, that was like, I want to give this movie a seven. I want to break the scale. Uh, And this is like a movie that feels like, it feels unfair to rate it uh, based on the same rubric that we've been using because it is an event. This isn't a movie, Kevin. It's an event. It's absolutely an event, specifically an event comic. I mean, we kind of talked about this, I think, way back in the first podcast. A big accomplishment to me of Infinity War and Endgame is that it actually brought event comics to life. It really does feel like a giant crossover, like you mentioned, to the point where 
like these chapters and vignettes almost feel like those tie in issues. Like each, each one is like its own comic story and you're reading them interstitially as they come out, you know, like, like week by week. And there's the bookend chapter at the very end with the big battle. Um, it really does feel that way. It feels exactly like how a comic book event plays out. And it's kind of awesome. Um, and it breaks weird, interesting rules at times. And I kind of like that. Like you called, you talked about the Tony Stark moment at the beginning. And I like that because when you think about like how these movies are usually structured, that moment where Tony shows up, they they do the info dump with Bruce and, and Doctor Strange is usually like, here's what you need to know about Thanos. Here's everything we need to know. The, the usual beat after that is, okay, we got to go get the rest of the team together. And you almost have it where he's about to call Cap. That's the usual beat, right? You take a slowdown moment after this big opening action sequence. You, you you get the info, you get the team together, and then you go do something else. Not this movie. Literally, he opens the phone and he closes it again because, boom, they've showed up literally right outside their door to start things, an action sequence, um, which is different. And you get Spider-Man coming in immediately after that uh, with the wonderful line of um, he's from space and he came to steal a necklace from a wizard. What a mm-hmm. wonderful line and just feels <laughs> so accurate to this, to this, to like what's happening, but kind of also shows you like where we are in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that that is just a standard line now. And you're just like, yeah, got it. Because they don't stop down to over explain. Like you said, this is an event, and if you had missed the previous lead-ins, they don't really, they're not here to be like, okay, new people who decided for whatever reason to come in on this issue. Nah, we're going, we're going. If you missed us, I'm sorry, you're going to have to catch up on your own. But I, I like that. I like that the movie is so fast-paced and kind of like trust the audience to have either seen everything or follow along, you know? Uh, it's like a movie that defies structure, like it's a movie that defies like conventional storytelling structure for me. Like is is there a three act structure to this movie that you could really even delineate this into? If if there is, it's the first act all of the pre-credit stuff cuz that's a very short first act. <laughs> it's it's super weird because sort of. So this is like jumping really ahead and 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 um and talk specifically about Thanos, the villain that we have all been waiting for. But it's really interesting that I think everyone left the theater feeling weird, right? And we talk about the structure of this movie feeling weird and the heroes losing and and everything like that. But someone had pointed out uh, online, this is, this is something from forever ago, so I can't remember where. But when you look at it, there is a level of accuracy in that this isn't Thanos, or this isn't the heroes' three-act structure. This is Thanos's three-act structure. Um, And it was really interesting when you think about it that way because it does follow, like Thanos follows the hero's journey in a very odd way in this movie to the point where normally in a movie, you can almost pinpoint, there's always the midpoint, right? And a lot of times it's literally the midpoint of the movie where halfway into the movie, you you pause and the hero's at his lowest point. It's at the bottom, you know, uh, of, of, of his journey. He has to sacrifice something really big. That is literally uh, Vormir. I paused it at that point. It is halfway into the movie. Knowing that when you look at it that way, it really is Thanos' story. And that's what makes the structure feel so odd and feels a little bit off. Um, But, you know, I... I, He's smiling at the end, like the final shot is him at peace. Exactly. He won, he got it, he did everything he wanted to do. He did it. And I think that's fascinating, that's interesting. And it also, I think, contributed to why so many people left this movie siding with Thanos in a weird way. I think in, in a similar to Killmonger, he's a really, really, really well done villain where you understand his motivations and you get where he's coming from. Personally, 
I think what makes Thanos, I mean, we'll see where his ranking is, but up there with Killmonger certainly as a one or two spot of the villains in the MCU is that like Killmonger, you also understand why he's an antagonist. And I think for Thanos, as much as he is there, like, oh, I'm trying to help people and I'm doing this hard thing to do so. I mean, everyone's talked about it, right? Like Thanos's real solution shouldn't be to like eliminate half of people, just create more resources. If you had that ability, you could just do it. But that's what makes him the villain. He refuses to actually see the outcome. It's not about actually helping people. It's about proving himself right. He's very Walter White in that way. You know, when Walter yeah. White finally admits, like, I am a bad guy, that's that's that. Like, Thanos is a villain. It'd be cool to see Thanos with the goatee and, like, the fedora. Exactly. Like, put, put some glass, sunglasses on him. He's there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's... You know, and here we are already talking about the villain. There's just so much in this movie and so much excellence in this you movie. Can't, yeah, you can't talk about Infinity War with that. Like, you know, sometimes with, with these podcasts, like, you know, we don't do like the scene by scene breakdown. Um, so, you know, we, we are all over the place often, but usually it's like not until like the end that we start getting into a villain. But like, yeah, the villain of this is the protagonist. <laughs> the <Yep>. villain <laughs> of this movie is the protagonist. Uh, and this is feedback we got uh, from a listener named Jared. Jared wrote and said, Thanos is the thing that ties this whole movie together. It's the most ambitious crossover event in history, and Thanos is the vehicle that drives it. From the opening seconds, his presence is felt. It never goes away. For as many different plot lines are happening simultaneously, it never gets confusing because they all tie back to Thanos at the core. He's the pseudo-protagonist of the movie, a bold and risky choice, and it completely works. And it works not just because it ties the movie together, but also because they work their ass off getting you emotionally invested in Thanos. It pays off in spades his relationship with Gamora it's beautifully tragic and for as crazy as his ends justify the means theory is it's actually really easy to sympathize with him which is astounding for a villain that wants to kill half of all life so that's from Jared um and I and I think like it's sort of in that way we're like if you're if 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 you're rooting for Walter White while watching Breaking Bad without feeling icky about it like if you're rooting for Walter White like it's I think like if you're rooting for Walter White in spite of yourself, like that's a very normal reaction. I think that there are ways in which like that maps onto Thanos. Is this a character who like you're rooting for in spite of yourself? Like watching him succeed is like an impressive thing. And it's it's sort of like a delight to like see how capable he is. Uh, like it's a, it's a very entertaining ride and you're invested in it because he's invested in it. And everything that happens on Voromir and the pain that's on his face as he's killing Gamora, even if it's like a diseased, broken relationship, you feel it from that character's perspective that's the magic trick with breaking bad and that's the magic trick with infinity war and i i think without that i think jared is right and to put it in like big lebowski terms even though i know uh, the dude isn't coming until end game uh it's really like thanos is the rug that ties the room together uh if it's not for thanos if thanos is not in the picture this ginormous movie that has so much going on just doesn't work so the fact that they are able to pull this character off, uh, it it helps that there have now at this point, by the time this movie comes out, been years of buildup, you know, six years of buildup to this character. Um, this is not just like the start of the end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it, but it's the fulfillment of a character that people have been waiting to see for over five years at that point. Yeah, and I think that's, again, a, a, you know, where I say this had a bigger lift than Avengers, I think that's another aspect of it, right? Like, they've been th teasing Thanos for so long, and they really had to make him the best villain. And 
really put the effort in, and they did, um, both in terms of strength and threat. Because like we said, we open up in this amazing sequence that makes you not like him because he killed a bunch of characters we love. Um, show how powerful he is by having him knock out the two strongest Avengers. And from that point on, it takes like a group of people to even come close to drawing a drop of blood. Um, so they really did a good job in the power and then even more so in the motivation. And I think you're right. Like, you know, you're supposed to feel conflicted about this movie. Like, I think by the second movie, you should understand that Thanos is the bad guy and why. I think, you know, for some people, it's fallen into the the Scarface effect where people really love Scarface, but because they think Tony Montaya is cool and is a role model, and it's just like, I think you missed the point of the movie. Um, I think it's the same thing. Like, Thanos, when a villain is so good that you side with him, it's great, but you should be able to see the underlying thing that makes him a villain. And I think that's absolutely there for Thanos, especially in the second one. The first one was very much, I think, about, like you said, making him almost like the protagonist um, and making it his character journey. Well, I think, you know, it helps that every single person that you have ever loved that is still alive in the Marvel Cinematic Universe tries to punch Thanos in the head in this movie, right? Like, you, know, <laughs> like, like you are watching uh, the Peters, Quill and Parker working together to beat the crap out of Thanos, Iron Man fighting Thanos, Doctor Strange fighting Thanos, Mantis fighting Thanos, uh, Black Panther, uh, Captain America, uh, Hulk in the Hulkbuster, you know, suit. Like, every single person's taking taking a swing at Thanos in this movie. So that's like a very useful shorthand to get you on board. It's like, well, that guy's the bad guy. Uh, but it, it is very artfully done on uh, the part of uh, Christopher uh, uh, Marcus and McFeely, whose first names I always forget, the the writers of so many of these uh, later day Marvel movies. Um, uh, it's really the magic trick that they pull off here that you you don't want Thanos to succeed, but like you're, you're invested in his investment. Um, and I think when it's, when it's that big, heavy character going up against literally everyone else from the MCU that you're invested in, and it's still tipped in, in not even necessarily like tipped in the favor of Thanos, but that things are as balanced as they are to, to use a word that Thanos loves, (laughs) you know, is really impressive that you've got like, you know, a hundred superheroes on one side and one bad guy on the other. And like, it's like, like you're equally compelled uh, by both sides of the battlefield. But the entire movie is a war. I, I think, Kevin, when we get, you know, deeper into the podcast and we have to do the final battle rankings for this, like for me, like the question is like, is it even fair to rank a final battle for this movie when the whole movie's a war? The whole movie is a battle scene, essentially. Like, yeah, it like slows down at points, but from, you know, from sun up till sundown, uh, this is a this is a battle movie. This whole movie is a gigantic battle scene. Oh, absolutely. And it is weird to rank it that way. I think there is a delineation point where you're like, this is where the final battle sort of starts. Where is it? Is it Wakanda? That's is it like my Wakanda call. and Titan simultaneously? Because they're yeah. both happening at the same time. Right. And I do think that is it is like it, the final battle is basically a two two thing battle here. Well, then it's number one right now. Right. Like we could just get that. Yeah, out of the way right. Then. Because like, I mean, when we can talk about the final battle more when, when we get there, but it's certainly got to be number one. The amount of action that's in there. The effects are really cool. The, the 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 stakes feel awesome. Uh, the outcome is like holy crap, and that's only on Wakanda. When we get to Titan, it's even doubly so. Um, it's 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 it, this movie is is quite a feat. And you, we talk about the delivery of Thanos, but you kind of hit on something right where you're like you have Peter's Quill and Parker 
it's taking a swing. And that's the other part of this movie that's nuts is that it's bringing together all these separate aspects of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, especially the Guardians, which felt so distant and so different. And Thor helped make that bridge, that rainbow bridge happen. But this it was was unexpected and amazingly pulled off. Like we were really excited when the guardians show up. I mean, I remember in the trailer, I think it's saved to the end where Thor, you know, turns and is just like, who the hell are you guys? And it shows the guardians and everyone lost their goddamn minds when that moment happened in the trailer. And it's just so expertly done. All the characters feel like themselves. They interplay with each other really, really well. Certainly Dr. Strange and Tony's, you know, interactions with each other. Thor and Peter Quill are some of the best things. Like their rivalry is a plus and there's some just great delivery on, on Chris Hemsworth's uh, part again. Like when he says like all words are made up, I died uh, on Mm -hmm. that moment. And it's just, it's so great. And he's so like, this is, this is a lot of Thor, a Thor movie too. Right. Like having his people get killed, having him spiral basically into the suppression and Chris Hemsworth does such a good job balancing Thor's humor with the emotions that he's experiencing, um, which, you know, a credit to him as well. We, we talk a lot about the, the other actors, but man, did he do some interesting lifting in this uh, movie, not just of hammers, but also of, uh, of character work. Well, it's wild because this movie ends on such a dark note with so many of the characters getting snapped out of existence. And like, sure, like you kind of figured that bad things were going to happen in this movie, uh, you know, there, there's another bit of feedback here. This is from Matt H. He says, Infinity War, it's not in the same league as Endgame because from the first scene, it's obvious that Thanos would spend the movie collecting the stones and that it would end with him snapping his fingers. And I do think that that was an expectation going into the movie, especially knowing that Endgame was a year away so that there was going to be a sequel to this movie one year from now. Um, so you would expect like a certain level of damage would be done that would get undone or corrected in in some capacity. Um, we could put a pin in whether or not uh, that takes any of the air out of the room of like the magnitude of what they did and what that felt like in theaters and what that feels like and like the the zeitgeistiness of the snap. Um, but the fact that this is a movie that that does that that kills Loki. Um, that kills Heimdall. This is a movie where Vision dies twice. Gamora dies, you know, and it is it is really, really bleak at points. It's also really funny. Like, this is a movie that is also simultaneously very funny, whether it's, like, um, the Doctor Strange and Iron Man stuff or everything Spider-Man. Um, Have you heard of this Star- really old movie, Aliens? <laughs> called <Josh>. Aliens. <laughs> you know, so, like, there's just, there's a ton of of really, really great stuff in here. Uh, and for me, like, the Thor comedy really shouldn't work because he has not just lost half of Asgard uh, and he has not just lost his best friend and now has lost his brother, uh, but had lost everything that he had lost in Ragnarok, too. Uh, that he lost his father, he lost his planet, and now he loses all of this. And, like, he shouldn't be able to be cracking jokes, but Chris Hemsworth has just sold his version, like, his new version of Thor so mightily uh that like you can't help but like be fully on board for the ride with the way that he interacts with the guardians the fact that he has such forward momentum that he is really like um both eyes even though one of them should be washed off or on the prize of getting a new hammer and destroying thanos like he's just like as he says like vengeance is a really good motivator like he sells that really well um the comedy in this movie uh given like the subject matter 
really shouldn't work. And even when you know the ending and you know things are like gonna gonna get really grim, when you rewatch this movie, like all of those beats still hit the way that you want them to. Um, so this isn't just like the best action movie of the MCU up to this point. Um, and I would still, I would say like, I, I think Endgame's final battle will probably trump this one, but I think as an action movie, Infinity War uh, is superior to Endgame for me, for sure. Um, this is just like, it's, it is, it's not an action comedy, but it is, it is like this, this epic movie that is able to have all these different emotions, whether it's like just the visceral excitement of a battle scene, uh, the, the, you know, the gut busting laughter of like watching, uh, the Chris's Pratt and Hemsworth going toe to toe in their, no, you will not voices, <laughs> um, or like the tragedy of it, uh, you know, whether it's Gamora getting thrown off the cliff or it's Nebula reacting to the absence of Gamora and what that means. Um, this this movie has everything, <laughs> Kevin. It really, really does. It does. And, you know, like that that's the thing, the emotional parts, too. You know, we talked about how Thor has lost everything. And he's a little cracking jokes. I think that's the hope in him that's still left. Right. Like trying to, to persevere. And it's it's tragic when you really think about it, because he has that line, too, where he's just like, if I'm wrong, what more could I lose? And there is more. He can lose himself, which is exactly what we see happen in Endgame. Like, after this all happens, you know? So it's really fascinating, amazing work that they did with that character. And, yeah, I it, this idea, too, of, like, you know, it gets taken away because we know that they're going to undo a lot of it. Yeah, sure. We don't know what they're going to undo and how much and what the effects are going to be. And I still think that part of it still left us feeling, you know, pessimistic and dark and shocked you know that ending i uh, when i walked out of the theater everyone was so somber everyone was quiet and even though in the back of your mind you knew like well they've, they're gonna have to undo it they've already announced spider-man and black panther um you still are like you know shocked by it like even though it happened part of you thought that it wasn't going to even though like you're like i mean <laughs> yeah. you have to snap right the like, movie does a you, bunch of bait and switches in that regard yeah a, a lot of times and, and i think it does it to wonderful effect and obviously there are consequences especially for thor i mean that didn't get undone with the snap you know the the as guardians at least half of them are gone uh they then to an extent they undo certain things and you know take that as you will but like certainly for me this this made sense i think also story wise like loki dying in this movie I think that's all you could do with this character. Like the character journey was done. And uh, unfortunately, like that was the all only ending left for him is to sacrifice himself in a kind of heroic way um, and die. Um, so like uh, that made total sense for me to, to do that. Of course, you also have to like, that's the other reason why you couldn't have this version of Loki continue because like everyone likes to kind of, mischievous Loki, right? God of mischief. And we weren't going to get that anymore. So you kind of had to kill off this one and find a way to bring back the old one, which they did in, in Endgame. But um, things are going to be different. There's still going to be consequences suffered, certainly from this movie and from Endgame. So I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing to be like, well, we knew. And it's just like, well, it doesn't affect things. Sometimes the journey, you know, can be really good and you feel the emotions throughout regardless of whether or not you know it's all going to be undone afterwards and i think this movie does that and to your point about action like holy crap yes i mean there's so many action scenes in this movie compared to the uh end game you know end game is a little more slowed down this is this is non-stop action almost all the way throughout and it's it's wild there's some amazing uh action sequences um throughout the whole thing especially like the the one in the in, in the park as uh as two of thanos's children are fighting you know um 
Bruce Banner, basically. Uh, Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, Spider Man. It, it, it's it's wild seeing them, ru- ru- you know, go across the city, fly up into the air, get onto a spaceship. There's just, yeah, man. Like I said, this movie goes and it, it doesn't slow down, and it's like hold on for the train ride of your life, and that doesn't even get to the ending where we hit Wakanda, and it's just off the rails, amazing. It felt awful. Uh, it felt awful to watch the ending of this movie. Like and and like. I, I think like the question going into into Infinity War wasn't like, is this going to end poorly? It was like, how poorly will it end for people? Um, and like I was braced for a lot. I was braced for Iron Man to die in it to the point where like when he gets stabbed by his own, you know, hoisted on his own petard. Uh, like I thought that that was it. I thought like Infinity War, Tony Stark was going to die. Uh, and they, they do a, you know, a, a decent bait and switch there. Um, like there were just a lot of moments in the theater that felt really low. But by the time that like Thor is able to, to shove Stormbreaker into Thanos, like I'm, I'm like now feeling like maybe there is a bit of hope. You know, Dr. Strange said like, there's just, this is the only way we're in the end game now. Like we feel like maybe this is it. Um, and then it's not, and even knowing that there's still this other movie that's coming up, there's just like there's no world in which you think that you're about to watch Spider-Man die. Even if it's temporary, <laughs> there's just no world in which you think that you're about to see that. Um, and like, you know, it's like shock after shock. And like, I think that the way that they build the snap is is really smart, where when you when you see Bucky be like the first to go, you're kind of like, oh, man. Um, but by the time that it's Black Panther, this was very hard to watch this time, of course. Um, but like you're you're already used to the fact that people are dusting out. So you think that like Okoye is about to go? That and then that's the camera exactly reversal. It. I think that was so Black Panther, I think, was the most shocking one because like the theater yes. gasped because exactly that. They shot it purposefully. So you think Okoye is the one who's gonna go, and then when the camera reverses and it's T'Challa, you're just like, oh, my God. And of course, Spider-Man is the most emotional, I think. Like that, like Tom Holland, holy hell. Like, say what you will about knowing they're coming back. His his acting in that moment, your heart breaks for because he it's reminded like he's a kid he's just a teen he's 15 years old basically and so it's 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 just such an emotional rough thing to watch you're absolutely right josh it's it's it just hits you hits you hard uh it it was it was an unforgettable experience uh watching all of that uh as far as the the theatrical experience we had we had a couple of uh comments on that front from people uh this is from todd he says my biggest memory of seeing this in the theaters it's always going to be that shell-shocked silence that gripped the theater at the end uh, i guess most people weren't expecting the snap you've never seen a more somber exit from a movie theater um and our good friend torby frazier here on everything is super uh wrote a really long uh, memory about his experiencing this movie and how he had gone uh, to the AMC Empire 25 in Times Square in uh, in Manhattan. Um, uh, no, it's in downtown Manhattan. Sorry. And he uh, was there at like the end of one of those crazy MCU marathons where like for like hours and hours and hours and hours on end, they were just playing every single movie. Uh, and he went and saw the Infinity War showing there. So that was like a theater that was really already like primed to just feel awful. 
uh, by the ending of this movie. And and Torby uh, writes in and says, I was abuzz with the energy of that what was being sold as the biggest blockbuster ever did that as their ending. So much so to the point that I ended up literally talking with complete strangers from that same viewing for about two and a half, uh, for about a good 45 minutes outside in Times Square about everything from the wild spectacle Infinity War. What could come next in the then untitled Avengers 4 and the notion that most people were about to be in the same position as us in the hour after our viewing ended um, with how much events from Infinity War hit the cultural zeitgeist. It can be hard to contextualize the event that the film provided. It's two and a half hours, but I can't stress how great and unmatched the live theatrical experience was. And I, I would agree with that, that it was just like it was it was just like unlike anything to watch the good guys lose, even if it was only for now. But it was for a year. You know, they, it, for a year, the good guys lost. And we had no idea how they were going to get it back. We knew they'd get it. We we knew that they would, you know, get one back over on Thanos somehow. But we had no idea how. And Endgame really plays with those expectations in a in a really amazing way, which we'll we'll get into in a few weeks. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, what do you remember about your your viewing of of this movie? Yeah, when you, I, when you saw it in theaters. I mean, it's 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 wild because like you know I, I saw it opening day as as I want to do with these things. And the experience was really great. Everyone, it's it's so intense because everyone has these emotions that you're all feeling at the same time, both in terms of the awesome action, but also the the, the comedy. Everyone's laughing together in these moments. And then everyone experienced the sadness in that moment. Everyone got really excited when Thor came, you know, Thor in probably what is next to Endgame, the greatest entrance in the MCU history where he comes down playing the Avengers theme is going as he, the hammer storm, you know, breaker comes flying out of everything. Um, it's just, it's great. And and you're super excited. And when he hits Thanos, everyone's like, like, yeah, we're all excited. And then the gasp that come when he says the, you should have gone for the head and snap. Like it, it's, it, it was such an experience. It's such a cultural event both this one and Endgame, um, that it, it, it's so memorable and it's so just, I don't know, it, it's hard to describe feeling so connected in a theater with people, but that's what it was. We were all ex- like collectively experiencing every emotion from happiness to, to sadness to excitement together. Um, and it was it, it was great. It, it is something that I think will stick with me, um, especially again with Endgame. It'll stick with me for a very long time. And I don't know what's going to be able to replicate something like this. That's for sure. Is uh, is this a movie where like your favorite character changes depending on like what mood you're in when you watch it? Or do you have like a pretty consistent MVP? That was another question that we got a lot of. This was from Luke, who's the MVP of Infinity War. Um, probably Thanos. I mean, ultimately, I, I, think I mean, Thanos, in terms of accomplishments. <laughs> yeah, I think Thanos for sure. Uh, I think Thor ended up um, being a really, really um, MVP player that you're really following his character journey. I mean, they didn't do a lot with Cap in this. And I think that's mainly because they're going to do so much with him in the next movie. Um, which and by I design, I mean, it's war. Yeah. It's war. Like Cap just shows up like he's a man of action. He's a decision maker. It's just like, we're just going to we're going to do the war thing. It's yeah. Game on. And um, and I think I think for the, the main characters in terms of like MVPs, it's really hard. I think Thor is up there for sure. I think Tony is is high up there, but again has a bigger I think part in the next Did one. Did this play any differently for you, uh, knowing how close we are to the Tony Stark end game? Watching any of Tony's stuff in in this movie? Um, I don't think it played differently. I I was with you when he got stabbed um, uh, up on Titan. I definitely also thought like, oh, there it is. Like Tony Stark dies. But 
it does make sense, and I, and I, I it's good that they didn't because they weren't going to kill Tony Stark without reuniting the original three. Um, which I'm happy that that did happen because you should also do fan service sometimes because we, it, it's just great. You, you feel real excited there hadn't over been, it. There hadn't been the reunion with him and Cap yet at the very least. Like yeah. there needed to be some version of reconciliation. I think the thing that stood out to me was knowing that like Iron Man is going to give his life to stop Thanos and to kill Thanos ultimately is how that's going to play um, to see like how like baked in that like mutual adversarial relationship was where Tony talks about how this guy's been stuck in my head for six years. And when Thanos sees Iron Man for the first time, he goes stark. And there's like, you know me. And it's like the first time that you've ever seen like Tony Stark kind of be starstruck by somebody like starstruck's probably the wrong word. But like this is like this has been his boogeyman and the boogeyman, the boogeyman knows me is like this like kind of like terrifying moment, like the way that like Thanos like kind of acknowledges him is this mad titan sizing up this human who he knows that he needs to have some level of respect for or else it'll be his undoing. I thought that that adversarial relationship was a little more pointed this time watching it in Infinity War, knowing that um, you know these two will be each other's undoing ultimately. Uh, first of all, I think you mean he was starkstruck. So let's just I did mean that. put that there. Uh, but yes. Yes, and I think that's that that relationship between these two is really interesting and really well done um you know i think thanos is a mcu villain more than just a tony stark villain but i think that aspect of it definitely carries through um he becomes a villain of all three of the main avengers i think in a great way which leads to that amazing stuff that happens in endgame um but talking about tony also you know that actually does hit someone who is the unexpected an unexpected mvp and we touched on this in his particular podcast but dr strange in this movie is so good that it's sinful as we again go backwards to look at the his movie how not good that was he's fantastic from the moment he shows up he's just he has that mannerism you have two sherlocks arguing with each other and fighting with each other literally because they both play <laughs> sherlock right. holmes and yeah. they their interplay is really really great and i think even when i first watch it one of my favorite moments that does have an awesome reflection now is that thing about like, you know, how many realities did you see? And he's like 14 million, 605. And how much did we, you know, win one is great. Especially like one of my favorite moments uh, that we'll get to an end game is when he has that thing and he holds just up the one finger is such a powerful moment. And I think yeah, because when he's telling him the one, it's like, it's the one where you die. Yeah, it's, it is. And it's incredible. And like, again, he, everything had to happen that way. Right? Like, we need like we now know and we assume he gave up the time stone for a reason. Um, but it's, it's wild because the reason is, is just like the only way we survive is because you have to die. And like you have to live today to die tomorrow to save the rest of us. Right. And like what's interesting when you really, really think about it. Right. Stark and, and Strange have this like really adversarial relationship against each other. You know, a, a man of magic and a man of science um, are butting heads. You have John Locke and, and Jack Shepard really going at it here. Um, oh, so heaven. <laughs> oh. uh, it's, 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 it's a good reference point. But anyway, yes. um, you, you have this going on, right? Uh, and at a certain point, Strange's opinion of Stark does change. And the reason is because he went into the future and he saw what he saw. He saw who Stark really is. 
And I think that's what changes his opinion on Stark and changes the way he also treats him, which I think is really interesting and really fascinating. Starts calling him Tony. Yeah. It's just like the level of respect is, I I do think that that hits different. That hits different after you've seen Endgame. Yeah. And it's, it's well done. And I think it's well plotted. And that's the other thing. This movie is really well plotted. Um, There's so much that happens. So many insane things. Um, Obviously the Peter and Gamora stuff is really great. We talked about that, you know, in retrospect, I do think, that moment that a lot of people crap on, of course you want to like crap on like they could have won. Sure. But like, it's, it's a character beat that makes sense and you get it considering how much he just lost as well. And to lose Gamora after, especially, you know, he he said, go right after he promised he would have killed her himself to not even have the moment of saying goodbye of anything to lose her like that, the way, you know, he wasn't there. He wasn't there when Gamora died the same way he wasn't when his mom died. And I think, all of that coupled together make that moment so much more understand understandable and powerful. Um, also, Peter Quill, you know, for as much as we craft on him the first watch, I think we are blinded by our, our dislike of that moment because he was the Peter Quill we know. Like, he is a smart planner. It was his plan to get Thanos into that spot where they could take off the glove. There's a lot of great stuff about the Guardians in this um, beyond the humor, but also character beats. Um that said, the humor of, of course, you know, where is Gamora? Who is Gamora? Why is Gamora? Is a plus. <laughs> Drax is once again, though, just like a joke machine, and it's it's great. But that that is what Drax has become. Like Drax has become nothing but a comedic uh, comedic character. Uh, like to the point where like he's going after Thanos. Like for me, like that has no gravity when he's like, I have to like it's finally time to avenge my family against Thanos. Like, uh, like I think like this is a this is a a, a portrayal of of Drax from Dave Bautista that for me has become fully comedic so that the dramatic beats don't land that hard. And if Guardians Three is going to try to 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 do something different um i wish them well because i think i think it'll be hard i think that they have uh they've just cemented that character as such a such a you know ripe uh source of of belly laughter but like almost nothing else for me um that's fair i mean that's that's like i think in this movie that's accurate i do think he had dramatic moments that worked well in in the first one the first one but also in the second i think his stuff with mantis actually does land like you know that ending where he he makes the final comment of just like you know you're beautiful on the inside like on the inside though like it's always a joke it is a joke (laughs) but i think that i think that's a that's still an emotional moment i thought um personally and i get it the mileage will vary on that one for sure um but with so many characters it is hard to like get all of them to get their moments, but almost all of them do. Almost all of them have like a great moment um, in this movie, uh, have 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 moments to, to, to really shine and, sh- and show their stuff, um, which leads, I guess, to a good point of like Wakanda and that final battle. You get so many cool moments between the characters and the action sequences. There's a fight on Titan we were just talking about, of course, but then on the ground, the actual, you know, grunts, quote unquote, fighting each other uh, in war, um, was was insane. Like I love the little bits and little pieces you see. I love that when the war, when they actually start, uh, you know, Cap and T'Challa, the king and the and the soldier are the first people out there. Like their speed obviously propels them to the front, but they are the ones who are out in the front lines, like like actual leaders, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, fighting this battle. And I think that's really great. You have you know Shuri having a moment of showing off her intelligence and trying to like help Vision. Um, and you have what I personally think is a very like especially watching this now we're talking about stuff and looking at endgame to now a way more natural moment of the female heroes teaming up 
than you did in Endgame. I felt like that was so forced, but in this, it actually felt natural. And you're just like, no, this is a way better moment when they did that. Um, and that was really cool. Um, you have Scarlet Witch in this movie, like is insanely Her great. Her whole thing with Vision is is really, really awesome. It's, like I think like the, the, the Peter and Gamora relationship gets a lot of focus. But for me, um, especially because we can only assume like we know WandaVision, the show is still forthcoming, allegedly coming 2020. So, uh, you know, if that happens, we'll certainly be podcasting it. I'm very excited um, for it. It's, it's the one I'm looking forward to the most. <laughs> whether it's whether it's 2020 or 2021, whatever, it's coming. Um, and we know that that Scarlet Witch will also be in the second Doctor Strange movie. So we know that there are still big plans for Elizabeth Olsen in the MCU. Um, and what we don't know, because she gets blinked out of existence here, the only other thing we know from this moment beyond losing Vision here, who like... Uh, I, you know, Vision was only going to speak for himself, but Wanda chimed in to say, it's working. It works. It works between us. That whole little thing with the two of them off on their little side trip was so cute. And you just instantly feel that chemistry um, that she not only lost Vision, she killed Vision. She killed him and then watched him come back to life and then watched him get murdered. Um, and that's what she's left with. And the only other thing that we know about her from that moment onward is that she is going to be so enraged by that when she blinks back into existence that she is going to ravage Thanos and almost end that fight, if not for um, other things interfering. Um, so she was a really compelling character to watch for me this going around, not just because of the relationship, Kevin, but also because like I feel like knowing Scarlet Witch from the comics where she is in in the comics responsible for a lot of like reality bending events that are not necessarily very good uh that she can sometimes be an antagonistic character and certainly has the power set that could be very dangerous for everybody on earth um really compelling to watch her this go around knowing that the mcu still has really big plans for her and even now in 2020 two years later from this movie we don't really know yet what those plans look like. They could be very dangerous and terrifying. Yeah, and I'm really interested to see that play out. You know, in the comics, of course, a lot of the stuff you're talking about occurs because of massive losses that she experiences, Vision being one of them. Um, so I'm interested she to had, see... She's like, nothing but massive loss. Yeah. Like, she lost, quick, she lost her brother. She, you know, everything that happened uh, in Civil War, now this. Yeah, and I think there's a lot there that could lead her into the direction she goes in the comics, which would be really interesting. And in, if that's where the, the MCU goes in the future. Uh, but Elizabeth Olsen, like you said, I think really, really stood out in this movie, especially watching it again now. If, since I first, the first time I watched it, like I love, I really liked her in Civil War. I really liked her in Age of Ultron. Um, but this movie really, um, really made her stood out as, as, as a character, but also as an actress. And I really like her and it's helpful that she ditches the accent. I'm not yes. even joking. No, like, I think it's just a good choice. Just a good choice. Get rid of it. Let her, let her do her thing. It's like storm. And then the X X from X one to X two, just the accent's gone. It's gone now. Um, yeah. And, and I do think that's a good choice. She, she it's, it's slowly faded away. So it's not like it just dropped completely out of nowhere. It's almost like, you know, she, she, she slowly dropped it over time being around the Avengers and everyone else. Um, but yeah, I, I just really like her. And I also, you know, just think as an actress, she, she really sh shines in this movie and in, um, and end game as well, as small as the role she has. So that was really great. And, um, the other stuff too, I mean, like there's just, there's just so much, but my big question too, though, speaking of, of her and vision, something, uh, uh, Robin and I did, went back and forth on a little bit is at what point 
would you have killed Vision? Because that becomes a question, right? Like, they let a lot happen before they finally make the call to kill Vision. And it becomes like, if you yeah. were in this position, at what point do you kill Vision? And this obviously, Vision means nothing to you. So in our circumstances, at what point would we kill the other person? Or in your case, at what point would you kill your wife? Um, right. To make that call, which I do think is harder Apparently not for Robin. She she would make the call when necessary. <laughs> Good to know. Um, but Whoa. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you gotta be level headed. I get it, right? Like I, I yeah, think I sure. would have done it faster than they did in the movie as well. But I understand the difficulty of that decision, especially when you thought it might succeed. Um, so yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, and especially because Vision is game for it. He's like, "Yo, kill me," and I'm so sorry, Wanda, but you have to be the one to do it because you've got the power to do it. Uh, it's really horrible that it's got to be you, but like. We we break this stone and Thanos can't do diddly, um, and they don't do that. Uh, and I don't know. I I do have a. I think I think for Captain America, do you have a justification for his stance on this? Because it doesn't like I don't know. I feel like for Cap, this would be like the strategic play, and he's somebody who understands what it means to lay down on the barbed wire for everybody else. He's the one who jumped on the grenade. He's recognizing that Vision is offering to do the same and in so doing would solve all of their problems. Thanos wouldn't be able to get the stone. Um, I mean, I guess they don't know the extent of the time travel stuff because with the time travel stuff, Thanos would be able to use the time stone and get the stone anyway, almost. Yeah, no, I mean, from the perspective of Thanos and and from the perspective of the audience, it didn't matter what they did and when they did it. They they were screwed. Once he had the time stone, it was game over. Um, Right. But from from the character's perspective, yeah, there's an interesting debate to be had about at what point do you make the decision to do that? And it's hard. I don't know. In a way, like you, you can kind of see the justification of Cap because, like, Vision is not only um, unique. He, you know, they kind of established that in Age of Ultron to the Civil War, Vision is the best of us. He's the one who knows who knows right from wrong in a way that the rest of us don't. Um, and he's also it's like it's losing your moral compass. Right. That's not a, a nothing thing to sacrifice. And not only that, he's also the only one of his kind, you know, like, yes, he's a robot, but he's the he's an artificially intelligent robot with emotions. And he's the only one in existence. He's the only one of his kind. Um, so there, there's a little bit there that you can understand. And the idea of like, I'm just going to sacrifice myself is like you shouldn't have to sacrifice yourself if there's another way, I guess. But then you also have this giant battle where a ton of people die. So it becomes like, well, um, so it's a bit difficult to like uh, completely justify the idea of just kind of like we're not going to do that. Um, but I mean, story wise, you get it right. Like you also have one is the only one who could do it. Um, you know, it's hard to like, hey, kill, kill the person you care about most, please. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a complicated one. But Cap is also one that we've established as one who kind of like does not bend in his morals a lot. So it sort of does fit the character to to, to feel that way and to, to make those type of decisions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so many like hard to pick an MVP in this movie because there are so many candidates. Uh, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but it at, at least like because like he's considered to be like one of the breakout MVPs of the first Avengers. Bruce Banner? Uh, you know, I don't I don't love Ruffalo in this, I gotta be honest. I think like I, I like I feel like he's also another character that like 
like once he gets like in Hulkbuster mode and they're like, oh, you're all screwed now. And like all of like his his fighting with the Hulk of like Hulk come out just feels like this is like a storyline that was put in there to give Mark Ruffalo something to do. Like I, it's just not something that uh, especially because I love him so much in Endgame uh, and what they ultimately do with him in Endgame and what they just did with him in Ragnarok. That I think if you were just going to like grade all of the Ruffalo MCU appearances, I think that this would be in last place. And yeah, I would include uh, this in last place over the Iron Man 3 cameo for me. Even Age of Ultron? That's crazy talk. Um, um, yeah, because I think in Age of Ultron, there's a humanity to to the way he plays Banner there. That's fair. Um, um, th- there's just like a jokiness to him here that I that I really don't love. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point. I, I'm not going to super disagree in that I do think it's one of the weaker Banner appearances. Um, but I feel like you had to have this, though. You had to have this moment where him and Hulk are at a conflict. You had to have a moment where Hulk gets beaten and realizes that he's scared for the first time ever um, in order to get to the point of Endgame where you can have the you know smart, smart Hulk, where you can have Banner and Hulk as one. Um, so I think it was a necessity in this. And I, I, yes, there was a lot of goofiness and a lot of silliness, but I didn't hate it. Um, but certainly amongst everything else happening, I see your point. It is one of the weaker parts of the character work, I guess, throughout the, you know, the movie. You're, if you're taking a shot, cause like, yeah. this is a movie that's hard to, to take shots at, I think. Right. And um, so like at that, you can like a, take a shot at you. There's certain things you can take shots at in this movie, certainly. But, um, like for example, uh, you know, um, the, the idea of, of Red Skull being on Vormir, you know, something people have taken shots at because it's just like, that was another one of those moments though, in the theater where like, along with the snap. I don't know about for you, but people were like, oh, oh, <laughs> when Red I, Skull showed up. I was a jerk because not a jerk, but like two specific points in this movie. I said uh, when when um, when Peter Dinklage showed up, I literally said out loud in the theater theater, Peter Dinklage, because uh, I was <laughs> I was shocked. I didn't expect yeah. it. And then when he showed up, uh, Red Skull, I literally was just like, what? <laughs> like out loud. Yeah. So I was the guy who did that. Yes. <laughs> and ruined uh, a moment for people, I guess. Um, but it is weird, right? Like, I think they did it because they need to tie up a loose end. Um, but it is odd to be like, and he's here now and he's sort of a ghost person. And you're just like, yeah, all right. And for me, I'm just kind of like, yeah, all right. But for a lot of other people, they're just like, well, that just it's a weird moment. It takes you out of it, of it happening where it is the Red Skull and sort of Hugo weaving, but not Hugo weaving, you know? Yeah, uh, but they they did a great job. That's Ross Marquand, who's on The Walking Dead, and he does an incredible Hugo Weaving as the Red Skull impression. Uh, he's a great Im- Im- uh, impersonator, impressionist. Uh, that you can you can check all that stuff online. He's got uh, great impressions of like a million different actors. So uh, and he's you know Atlanta based, which is where they were shooting this uh, because of Walking Dead. So easy day job, or like maybe like three or four days worth of work for for Ross Marquand. But that this movie's just like packed with stuff like that. Like that this is also a movie that has like the answer to the Red Skull. Like this is just like a very like lovingly crafted movie that answers a lot of things that you never expected um, the MCU to answer. Endgame does that as well. Um, Yeah, we haven't even like how how do you even like process everything that happened in this movie? Like even like nothing goes to waste, basically. Like even Benicio Del Toro, who's barely in this, is incredible just as like a collector vision. And I guess like you can just kind of assume that he's dead. Like for real. Bravo. Uh, Bravo. Magnificent. Magnificent. (laughs) I mean, like that's incredible. All of the Thanos flunkies, the Black Order, especially Ebony Maw, uh, just so, so good. And Ebony Maw's dialogue. uh, My humble personage crumbles (laughs) before your your magnificent brilliance. 
Um, yeah. Ebony, Ebony Maw is a ridiculous character. Uh, Proxima Midnight. There are people who think that like it's a waste of Carrie Coon. I say it's a blessing that we got any Carrie Coon in the MCU and probably not enough that like, you know, they could just recast her as somebody and I don't think anyone would bat an eye. No, with that much, you know, um, effects and makeup, I think it's totally possible to do so. I mean, they, yeah. they did that with... Um, uh, one of the characters in Captain Marvel plays someone else in another movie. So, like, that's gonna happen. It's it's fine. Um, yeah. But yeah, there is there is so much that goes on in this movie, and there's so many characters. You know, we we mentioned the Peter Dinklage thing. Like that entire sequence, I thought was really cool. I mean, for me, it was just you know crazy to see Thor gets to that point, ready to like you know <laughs> open up a thing, uh, you know, to a dwarf star basically to to to, to harness his energy. Um, you know, or die trying because that's how that's how killing works. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have these really cool moments. You have these awesome moments between uh, Rocket and him as well about loss and sacrifice. And then Rocket experiencing, you know, Groot, his kid basically going away, um, which was another emotional moment, knowing that like the translation in that moment of I am Groot was dad was just like, ooh. Um, so, yeah, there's just there is a lot. It's hard to look at this. And, and even when we have talking about this final, the final fight of Wakanda, like, if we didn't even get into, like, nitty-gritties. We didn't even get into, like, you know, um, I am Groot. I am Steve Rogers. The, the like, I see you oh. copied my beard. You know, like, there's so much that happens. And then flashing to Titan, the confrontation with Doctor Strange and Thanos, I thought was really great. You know, the, the dialogue they have back and forth. Um, you throw a moon at me again, I'm going to be really mad. Like, there's just so much like amazingness in this movie that is just so comic booky and so eventized that it's, it's stunning that they pulled it off. And I think that's really where we're at for this one is stunning. And that is even touch on Endgame, which I think also just way went beyond what you could have expected. And we're looking to experience as far as a movie watching experience and and a theater experience and just all of it. Yeah, no, it was just a fabulous, fabulous time. Uh, and I was I was again like, I don't know what it was, but like there was something that was like, is Endgame just so great? And like the the resolution of that movie just in such a way that like it's going to make Infinity War feel like ineffectual, like it's going to make Infinity War. No, none of that. Like just as like an event, just as a gigantic war movie that is both funny uh, and heartbreaking um, and just so exciting. This movie just completely holds up for me. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think when it, when it comes to like the ratings, this is easy. It's a six. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody hold up a six. Yeah. It's a six across the board. And, you know, I actually just occurred to me too talking about that idea of like knowing where Endgame ends, does it affect Infinity War and a doubly no one? Certainly there's some somewhat precedent, right? Like consider, um, consider empire strikes back and return to Jedi knowing where return to Jedi goes. You, you people aren't like, well, empire doesn't have an effect anymore and it sucks. Like it all still holds, holds up. Well, people think empire is the best star Wars movie and Jedi changes and does a lot. Like the Han Solo moment is a great example of like, well, he's frozen in carbonite. Yeah, but he, but he's not at the end of return to Jedi. And it's like, yeah, but that moment still hits. So I think it's, fair to say like this movie still holds up and it still carries its own weight um even knowing what endgame is bringing it's just it's it's definitely a movie that feels like a two-parter obviously but i think you went in knowing that was going to be the case and i think they did a great job in setting up this first part of what was going to be a two-part epic of a duology yeah for sure 
Um, all right, let's do some rankings. It's a six. <laughs> six here. <laughs> it's a six. It's a six for me. It's a six from Kevin. It's a 5.6 from the listeners. It's the highest listener average so far. 5.6 is it's the higher new- listener average. Guys, come on. You got to do better than it, that. <laughs> that's the highest listener average so far, but it's a it's a clean sweep. Uh, it's, a, it's a 5.86 for Avengers Infinity War, which is uh, now in first place. It's been tight. Uh, for the last few weeks with a few of these. Uh, I didn't like that there were so many ties, so I did some uh, some number crunching to get like really granular. Uh, and in getting really granular, this is our top five as it currently stands. Our top six is what I'll give you, actually. Infinity War in the front with 5.86. Thor Ragnarok is second place with 5.83. Then it is so tight between Black Panther and the Avengers. Right now, it's Black Panther above Woo! the Avengers with with five point eight one zero seven versus five point eight one zero six. <laughs> That's how close it is. Uh, and then uh, Spider Man Homecoming over Civil War with five point seven two over five point seven one. Um, and then it's a little bit of a leap to Guardians of the Galaxy in seventh place. So um, we're starting to see uh, what our what our ranking is going to look like because I don't think that Ant Man and the Wasp or Captain Marvel are going to like crack any of that. Endgame will be either at the top or next to Infinity War would be my expectation. So I think we're looking at our top five will be some version, Kevin, of Endgame, Infinity War, Ragnarok, Black Panther, and the Avengers. That's what it's looking like right now. I mean, I guess that makes a lot of sense. You know, in retrospect, I like the Avengers is one of those things where I understand why it's so high. I I still put like, one, you know, like for me, it probably is Homecoming and Civil War over it. Um, but I'm not mad about this ranking i'm not mad about this this top five um it's showing i think the power of the mcu certainly where three of the top five is of course avengers films um and also the tragedy of age of ultron where it is not there um yeah but like yeah it's 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 hard to argue against the rankings i mean science is proving true here you know um i'm curious about the villains and where we are because that that i don't know where the rankings sure so here's where we are with the villains uh Thanos is getting a six from me. Absolutely getting a six from me. Yeah, it's easy. Uh, and the listeners are very, very close. It's a 5.9 for <laughs> Thanos. Uh, which lands Thanos at a 5.96. Wow. Very, very close wow. to a perfect rating. Uh, yeah, what's like the lowest score that Thanos got? Yeah, who, uh, who, is, is who is something going I'd after be curious Thanos. to look at. Uh, the lowest score that Thanos Thanos got was a five. <laughs> that's how low it went for Thanos. So it's amazing. Uh, that's this is pretty pretty good. Uh, it puts him just above Killmonger. Uh, five point nine six for Thanos versus five point nine three for Killmonger. Uh, so Killmonger's still really high up there. But yeah, Thanos. Thanos sitting on his throne as he should, yeah. I think, after I mean, what he just did. Happy about that. As as for me, I mean, Killmonger. It's Killmonger number one, then Thanos number two in my own personal rankings. But like, yeah, I'm I'm happy with that. Who who are the rest? Who's who's three, four, five here? Uh, so it's Thanos at the top, then Killmonger, then the Vulture, yes. <laughs> then Loki from Avengers, yep, and sense. Hela from Ragnarok is in in fifth. And and Hela and Loki are tied, and I haven't done the math to break the tie on those two yet. I mean, that makes a lot of uh, sense as well. I think that's a fair ranking system, and it kind of shows again when they start to actually concentrate on villains a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That these phase three villains are just where it's at. Yep. Um, Post-credits. Uh, so... 
Uh, I gave it a five is seeing Nick Fury and Maria Hill get dusted. And then this tease of Captain Marvel, even even if like we'll we'll get to Captain Marvel in a, in a you know, a little while and, and talk through the movie itself. Um, but also like the fact that she's not super present in Endgame. I think what what it did and the reason why I'd give it a five, which is a pretty high score, because I, I typically don't score these very high, uh, is that like it let you leave the movie theater feeling something other than dread. Like it let you leave the movie theater feeling some excitement and some hope. Uh, and it also gave you something to start theorizing. Um, like it, start researching Carol Danvers, start re- researching Captain Marvel. What's her skill set? What's her whole deal? Um, you know, enabled a lot of people to call their shots that she's going to go out into space and save Tony. Um, so f- for all of that, uh, I, I give it a five because I think that it allowed you to walk away from this movie feeling something other than utter defeat. Yeah, I mean, I didn't go that high for it. I, get, I gave it a 4.5. I mean, for me, you know, um, Captain Marvel is not a character that I'm like, you know, super duper um, into from the comics. Um, uh, so like, I wasn't, you know, like chomping, you know, champing at the bit to be like, oh man, Captain Marvel is coming. Um, it was more exciting for me to, to see um, Nick Fury and Maria Hill again. I was really excited about that. Uh, but honestly, the reason it even got to 4.5 for me was that they let Samuel L. Jackson come very close to doing his uh, motherfucker bit. So <laughs> that alone, yeah. I was like, nice, you, you, you're giving the fans something. I appreciate that again. Um, it's, it's, it's an intro to the fan service that Endgame will be playing to great effect, in my opinion. Um, I think, you know, as we'll get to, they, they earned it. And so uh, 4.5 for me for that reason. Uh, and then it was higher from the audience. It was a 5.5 from the listeners. Uh, so that gives it a five overall. It's in sixth place behind uh, the Black Panther scene of T'Challa at the United Nations. Uh, and by a good bit. Um, the top five is really kind of in its own league as it stands. So final battle ranking is like, I really did have the sincere question of like, how do you rank this? Like, how do you rank this? Like, the whole movie is the final battle. Practically, but, like, I mean, if we if we consider what, like, here's the thing, right? Like, if we consider Wakanda... It's obviously number one. I it's, mean... It's without question number, number one. one. I think yeah. if we consider Wakanda the, the point, I think that works. But here's the thing, though. Even if you want to split it, even if you wanted to say Titan is its own final battle and Wakanda is its own final battle, pulling one out or the other, it's still number one. I think either yeah. of those two battles becomes a number one spot regardless. Because it's got all of the things that Avengers has, uh, plus like now even more years of expectations built into it, uh, even more new people to meet each other. Um, it would probably get number one on I am Steve Rogers alone. Yes. You know, <laughs> Steve Rogers had just met an alien, like an alien life form. And he was just in earnestness thinking that I am Groot. And his response is, I am Steve Rogers, like a nice, I am Steve Rogers. good person. Um, we, we all need to be more like Steve. Be like good Steve. Guy Steve. Yeah, be good, good guy, guy Steve. Steve. Good guy Steve. Uh, Stan Lee cameo. Uh, they have Stanley drive a bus yes. early in the movie because, like, let's just get that out of the way. Uh, it's not anything special. I think it's like a, around middle of the pack would be where I have it. I have it underneath Guardians where you see him being kind of pervy in space. That's fun. That's probably more fun than this. Uh, and I think that this is more fun than the Avengers where he's just like sort of like Avengers. They seem dumb. 
Uh, like this is just probably like just a, a notch above that. So I have it between Guardians and the Avengers at 12, if that sounds agreeable. No, I to think you. that is agreeable. I mean, it was nice to have him be in a moment with Spider-Man. Um, I think, you know, my favorite Stanley cameo is definitely going to probably remain the watcher. The only one that would come close to dethroning it is from Into the Spider-Verse, which is not part of this. Uh, doesn't count. Doesn't count. Yeah. But it is a great moment and i really wish that in my opinion if they had a moment where he did interact with spider-man it could take the number one spot just because of the um, magnitude of something like that of stanley being there um in that particular moment with that particular character um kevin we're up to the moment that everyone's been waiting for ant-man and the wasp <laughs> coming next it's so- it's gonna be it's gonna be what it's gonna be five podcasts that we've been on in a row where you are not going to be able to help but reference lost because you're gonna be talking about evangeline lily i'm gonna purposely not reference lost because of this actually um you're not gonna have a choice i just I'm not gonna let you it's so weird and even now like having watched the movie which i did enjoy uh, and I'm curious to see it on a rewatch. Even now, this I feel the same way I felt then, where it's just like, who, who gives a shit? Like, we just saw a bunch of people get dusted. Why do we care about this happening right now? Like, it's just so odd. Like, such an odd placement for this story to be after Infinity War. And I think everyone going in had a similar feeling of, like, who's going to care about Ant-Man right now? Um, I think we care a lot about Ant-Man once Endgame hits, but... What a weird placement is all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I don't know what decisions were made there, but interesting choice, guys. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Anyway, we're going to talk Ant-Man and the Wasp. I'm excited. It's a lark. It'll be fun. Might be a short podcast, small podcast. I think what we what we should do is, uh, you know, some some news has broken on the Ant-Man front uh, since last we recorded a podcast that let's save it for for next time, Kevin, because I think it's got uh, some some big potential ramifications for both the Ant-Man specific franchise, but also the, the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I think that there's a lot of like forward looking stuff that we can we can get into with Ant-Man and the Wasp next week. Absolutely. I mean, it's pretty big news and really brings a lot of questions about who, 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 where, yeah, where the MCU is going to be headed into the future. Lots of fun past. stuff to talk about. Or any point or in past. time. <laughs> or the past. Uh, so make sure you get your feedback in super at postshowrecaps.com. Get those Infinity Stone rankings in. Talk to us on the Twitter bots. I'm at Round Howard. Kevin is at Kev Mahadeo. No Lovecraft Country podcast from us for this week for episode five. We're going to combine that with our episode six recap uh, for reasons, scheduling stuff. Uh, so it's just it's easier on everybody. We're going to do it that way. Um, so make sure that you're listening to the Lovecraft Country podcast with Kevin, myself, and the great Latanya Starks who joined us for the last couple of weeks of everything is super. Kevin, anything else? Um, follow me at Kev Mahadeo and check out my website because I actually you did an update. I did an update, and by the time this comes out, I should have another update up. Um, I'm hey! yeah, uh, I'm hoping people get back in it. Check it out. Um, it, it's you know it's it's script, so it's the Mahadman.com. Mahadman.com. If you want to read, uh, please please check it out because I'm writing and I'm hoping people read it. Read Kevin's stuff, for sure. All right, uh, well, with that, snap, we're out of here. Bid you farewell and good luck, morons. 